episode of what? Welcome to the audio attic where Chelsea and I tell each other interesting stories from all of time and space. Marvel's machinations and mysteries, if you will. I am your host, Ellie Main, and Chelsea Hafush is my co-host. She's giving me a face. It's the face of today. It's the face of the feeling. <laughs> it's been the two of us for a little while, but we're excited to welcome back a guest. Hello, Connor Shea. Okay. Welcome back to the pod. Glad to be here. He's here not out of like love for me or professional respect for you, but like only to plug his own podcast. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <right>. Oh, good. <laughs> he's no, like, I'm very like, pro that. He's like, can I do like a press blitz that's like just y'all show? Uh-huh. And I was like, yeah, well, we'll do a junket with you. Right. Well, I want to do like three episodes, like all in a row. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Can you do like the, the before ad read, but it's for your podcast? <laughs> Yeah, look along this is me, not local unemployed man. I talked about a book I was reading. <laughs> Ellie, you've never looked more like like a powerful '90s tomboy, and I really appreciate the energy that you're bringing. Are you mad? I just took a shower and my hair is wet. <laughs> yeah, and I am wearing my boyfriend's t-shirt, so yeah, okay. Like, oh, okay, like you look like a skater boy, and I wouldn't say see you later, boy. Well, I've been playing a lot of Tony Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it's like the energy that's like coming. It's like yeah. it's a whole vibe. You know what I yeah. mean? Every time I fall over, I'm like, nice. <laughs> Speaking of falling over, we were skating around the neighborhood. So the way that I've decided to get like more confident about skating on the street is that yeah. Connor and I go for walks and he has to hold my hand the whole time. It's fun. Okay. But I'm getting more confident. But then I was like, oh, I have to get down off of this like uneven ledge thing. And Connor was like, okay. And then I was like, okay, here I go. And then he pushed me and then he spit on me and I fell backwards. Yeah, I did say see you is- later, girl. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what happened. I feel like that's all true. Yeah, actually, that's like 100% true. Uh-huh. No. I think someone passing was like, oh my gosh, that girl's Kara just pushed her over. <laughs> no, but a woman did come outside and was like, you know, do you guys want some ice? You know what's so funny? I think they weren't like inside and they came outside. I think they were behind like a sun blind. <laughs> what? Just like, you know, sitting on their porch. Oh, they were peeping. see them. They were like hidden. Uh, they were peeping. Us. So they were like just watching us the whole yeah, time. Yeah, they were creeping on us while we were skating. Yeah. And then they came out and they were like, do you need anything? Do you want some ice? Do you want a towel? And I was doing like that. I was in full Peter Griffin like. Are we doing five fun fast facts? Are we doing a fact bang? I have five fun fast facts. Oh my goodness. So it is fun because there is a slight journey, which Ooh. is that I learned this one fact and I was so into it. <laughs> Uh, you'll see why. Uh, that I was like, then it informed the theme for the other four facts that I wanted to find. Are they all about sex? They are! <laughs> you know how like not all women, like hashtag not all women, can come vaginally and like that's totally chill? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So are you, she's already furious. So my mom I learned. <laughs> Your mom? Well, this is going to help her. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> There's a structural reason within the vulva for this. And basically, when, what they found out, they did a big study, and they found out that if the distance between your clitoris and your vagina is 2.5 centimeters or less, you're much more likely to be able to come vaginally because... The clitoris, so this is like now we're going into two, like okay. two, 
you know it's got like little like arms, like it's like like it, like its head sticks out, it's like right? A gremlin. Yeah, its head sticks out like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's an audio podcast, but like its little head's like out of the dirt, right? But then like its little body goes through your body, and is like like its little like arms are like sitting right up against like your vaginal wall, and that's your G spot, Eleanor. So that's why you can feel that's why like some women can come because like the like arms of their clitoris are like right up against their vaginal wall <laughs> i wish you guys could see all these things <laughs> and so it makes sense to me it's like oh if just like everything in general is smaller down there like if everything's more compact then you're gonna be closer to those arms you're gonna be closer to that clit because like the truth is is that it's really all about the clit and uh, even like coming vaginally is also still all about the clit i don't you hear that ellie's mom i don't <laughs> what it's all about i don't know why but arms <laughs> is really bothering me well then you're gonna hate fact number three great <laughs> I think what a lot of people don't realize is that half of the length of the penis is actually inside the body because the penis is shaped like a boomerang. Excuse me? Did you not know that? Excuse me? No, it's true. The full the full like length of like the penis is shaped like a boomerang and so then half of it's in your body and the other half's out. Connor, how do you think that you get like the tensile strength to have an erection? You think it just happens? I think I'm just really strong. No! And then fact number five is that, you know when people say that you break your penis? Yep. You know, there's no bone in there. No. So it's your urethra if you have a penis, and then you have two big, big veins in your penis. And that's why it kind of feels like if you feel it, like if you squeeze it with like firm pressure, if you're somebody who like, you know, manipulates a penis for whatever reason, it doesn't feel like a cylinder. It feels kind of more like, it feels more like pill shaped. Oh, she knows how to manipulate a penis. (laughs) (laughs) And it's because it has, it's got the urethra in the middle, which is for peeing and coming. Mm -hmm. Congratulations, very efficient. And then also like the two veins on either side. So when you break a penis, it's when you rupture one of those veins and the whole thing just like fills with blood because the blood can, because there's just so much in there because it's engorged. Mm. Thank you, Jesse. That's been five fun fast facts. I do think maybe we need to have like sex education with Chelsea as, as like a special podcast where we have to both bring topics that are like sex related. And mm-hmm. so you can really like exist in your element and I can crawl up into a ball inside my brain like an armadillo. You bring both of your moms on. Yeah. And you can both explain sex to your mother. My mom has been desperate to come on this podcast. Aww. And so she's real excited about it. Well, the only thing is like, and I, I feel and like I she would troll me though. I feel like she would also bring something super sexual. And we both have our moms on there. And then we're just like, when did you oh. first come vaginally, if at all? <laughs> I'm so proudly proved. Okay, so my title is The Pentagon's Secret Paperclip. Oh. Is this about Operation Paperclip? Yes, it is. I thought you might know about this. What the fuck is Operation Paperclip? Oh, Chelsea. You're going to find out. Oh, Chelsea, you're going to be so mad. I don't like the idea of both of you knowing it and me not knowing. You're going to be so mad about it. I don't know. This is the premise of your podcast. That's true. That's fair. Well, because obviously I've, I've said Pentagon, so it's clearly a USA thing. I was wondering how widely known it was by 
folks in America, but I guess you also are a, you're a history enthusiast. Okay, so this is like a historical, this isn't like something that the Pentagon is currently doing that's bad. It's something they've historically done that's bad. Yes. Well, I guess I should be answering these questions. We'll get there. <laughs> My title is Call Me Creepy. Oh. Is it about Is it about people who peep to see if roller skaters fall down outside their house? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would be fun, but no. Is it about Carly Rae Jepsen's stalker? Does she Ooh. have a stalker? I didn't tell you I was doing that. <laughs> <laughs> what a fun way to learn if anybody has dirt on you. But yeah. no. Is that what your podcast is about? <laughs> You're like, Carly Watch 2020? Yeah, episode three, Carly's Trash. <laughs> oh, God. No. Is it about wouldn't... internet stalking? Kind of. It's Ooh. tangentially related. Okay. It'll touch that, but it's not like necessarily about that. It'll touch. I think, I think we'll have fun. Oh, oh, okay. We'll have fun. Well, shall we? Yeah, let's shall. Call me creepy. This starts out with one of my absolute favorite kind of like internet pop culture guilty pleasures. And then also an internet pop culture nightmare that we're all living in at all times and how they intersect. Ooh. So the uh, guilty pleasure is I love deep internet rabbit holes mm-hmm. that people will both go on and then document like for yeah. your kind of voyeuristic pleasure. Like one of my absolute favorite ones, if you've never interacted with it, is that somebody made a Google Slides <laughs> that's like really, really long. And it's proving that Jack Antonoff slept with Lord when they were making green light and cheated on Lena Dunham and that Lord broke up their like relationship. And it's like basically like tracking both all the lyrics to all the songs in that album and then putting together a timeline of the production of that, the production and release and marketing of that album with tweets and like celebrity sightings of those three people to say like, oh, okay, at this time when Lord tweeted, so excited to be writing this with at Jack Antonoff or whatever, you can see that she has moved into like their brownstone in Brooklyn. (laughs) And then she writes about like being left on like the light up floor. And you can see in this photo on Instagram, the three of them are at this like nightclub in Manhattan. Light up floor. (laughs) And like, it just goes on and it's so good. And I read it for three hours and I was like oh my god they fucked and I don't like Lena Dunham as a person but no one deserves that but no one yeah no one deserves to have like a little like spooky like 19 year old like New Zealander witch just come into their house and steal their like long-term partner that they've been with for like seven years yeah that's a rough one that's a rough one I Uh, do have a is it a guilty pleasure or like I don't know a weakness probably for um (laughs) for celebrity couple gossip like i told i sent you my uh google history the other day because chelsea sent me this tiktok with like all the cast of twilight singing a song or whatever and i was like (laughs) oh my god my lunchtime on set i had just for some reason it was like (laughs) it was like robert panson dating history kristen stewart dating history (laughs) and fka twigs and like i just i just had i put it all together i had to know that one is another good one because yeah, first of all, I, I personally truly believe, like, in my heart of hearts, that FKA Twigs is responsible for both Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson 
for their trajectory, taking this sort of like 30 degree angle right towards like indie darlings, mm-hmm. because I think that, well, I think that Robert Pattinson had everything that he needed just to become like a sort of generic, like white dude actor, right? Like he could have, like he had done Harry Potter and then he had done the Twilight series. And so he had enough name recognition that he just could yeah. have been like in a series of action movies where like his dad was in the CIA. He could have been like a Ryan Felipe. Yeah, or like a Matt Damon. And like instead he dated FKA Twigs right after Kristen Stewart cheated on him with a man who was like 50. And then FKA Twigs was like, no, be artistic. And he was like, I am artistic. And then you're right. Actually, you're right. I'm actually like very artistic and creative. (laughs) And so he did that. And then I think Kristen Stewart just internalized it Mm. and was like how dare you you're going to go from me to like this beautiful like prism who does like (laughs) she is like a prism she's incredible and like i just think like just (laughs) and then she was like such a bad actress so what i'm going to have to do is i'm gonna have to find indie darling movies where i'm just angsty and i don't say anything that's yeah that's eight solid years of being furious before she accepts herself as like, maybe I can be like the new hot lesbian. Back to my topic. We're gonna pivot a little bit to another rabbit hole, which, so it touches a lot of things that are important to me because here's the other kind of rabbit hole I really have to go under, go down, whatever. It doesn't matter. I like under. Anyway, (laughs) is like celebrity nepotism. And I think part of it is that, you know, like it infuriates me. You know, it's always irritating. It also, I think there's like a little bit of like schadenfreude if like bad things happen to those people because it feels like they've just been like, they've won the genetic lottery and they're doing all of the things that I would like to do and like all of my friends would like to do and all the things that we've like worked really hard to be able to do, but like they just get to do them with like not trying and no talent. Yeah, <laughs> and it's yeah. very, very frustrating. I remember one time our friend, our mutual friend, Doug, who I would love to get on this podcast because he's <laughs> so funny. He went on this like, tirade it was really incredible and doug was doing this thing where he was like give me any like he's like give me any celebrity and you gave it to him and he told you how their parents were like connected and it was like people that you did not know were like he was like no it's everybody it's everybody anybody you know and then like even some of them he was like because i was like john mulaney and he was like i don't know john mulaney's like dad was like the lawyer for so-and-so and and, like got him this first job by knowing the guy that worked at snl and i was like fuck Like, he knows all of them, and it's insane. And so, and this, like, it touches the Lena Dunham one, because Lena Dunham is big nepotism, hardcore. And uh, that's why she got her fucking awful show. And then the other one that I love... She made that mumble cool movie first, off of having a rich mom, right? That's what I'm saying, yeah. So, no, her parents were really connected in the art world in New York. So that's how she got to make Tiny Furniture. And then they introduced her to Steven Spielberg because they were all friends. So, uh, yeah, it's great. Anyway, (laughs) my other favorite daddy's boy nepotism star that just drives me crazy is Max Landis. Do you know about Max Landis? No. Do you know about John Landis? No. So John Landis is a very famous film director. He directed, like, iconic comedy movies from like the 70s 80s okay. so animal house blues brothers mm. coming to america trading places like these epic i movies. know all those movies exactly we all know all those movies 
also very fun. He murdered some people in the 80s, which is something that I learned. And Hard like, left turn. And and just, just got away with it. Well, it was an accident. It was an act. Well, it was an accident, Supposedly. but it was it was a very neglectful accident. And he took no responsibility for it. And like his career did not suffer at all. So he was filming The Twilight Zone because he directed The Twilight Zone movie. And he they were a segment in the Twilight Zone. Okay. That does make it, you know, that does make it better. So he directed only a segment of the Twilight Zone movie. And in that segment, there's a big helicopter crash scene. And everyone's like, and it, I mean, it depends on who tells the story, but they were like, oh, this is dangerous. And he was like, well, we got to get the shot. And like an actor and two child extras died. In oh. The- thing and then they were like the family's like we're gonna sue you and they were like that's show business kid and he uh, didn't get in any trouble his career never suffered so that was great and then he gave birth to max landis and max landis he he personally gave birth and he personally gave birth to max landis who's like about our he's a little bit older than us let me see how old max landis is i don't want to be a person that judges people on the way that they look (laughs) and Max Landis is problematic and irritating for many reasons, and it wouldn't matter what he looked like. However, Max Landis looks like if you drew a caricature of an incel. That is what this person would look like. And it does make it, it adds, it adds nuance, That's I guess. flavor. That's flavor. So all that's to say is that, like, if you looked up a picture of Max Landis, I think what you would find is, like, it's, and when I say that, I don't mean, like, he's he's ugly, because I don't think he's, like, particularly unattractive, but he has, I don't know, he just has, like, a punchable face. He's got it, like, you see this guy, and you're like, oh, I know that guy. That guy has tried to talk to me at a bar, and then when I told him I was hanging out with my friends, he called me a bitch under his breath and, like, turned and walked away. Like, I've met that guy. Yeah, and, so, and he's 35, so he's, like... He's right. in, like, our general, like, kind of professional generation. Max Landis, by virtue of his father, John Landis, has gotten so many opportunities. Just, like, opportunity and opportunity and opportunity. He wrote a movie called Chronicle in, like, oh, I want to say, like, 2012 um, that was well-received. Chronicle is the movie that kind of skyrocketed the careers of Michael B. Jordan, so we can thank him for that. Also, uh, Josh Trank, who directed, who then went on after Chronicle to direct uh, the Fantastic Four reboot that everybody yeah. hated. So uh, that didn't go as well. But so he did Chronicle. But Chronicle, I feel like, is a screenplay that we all know somebody who wrote it in film school. It's like, what if like, hey, like, what if like me and all my friends like got powers, but like it it wasn't actually cool. Like, what if it was like more than we bargained for? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's gonna be like misfits. So it's like it's got like real misfits energy. Yes, I was gonna say I was gonna reference yeah. misfits. Since then he has written like just absolute clunker after clunker, <laughs> but they keep giving him more movies. Uh, or they were up until twenty seventeen, because this is when things get interesting. So he made uh such huge hits as American Ultra, which I remember because Jesse Eisenberg, who stars in American Ultra, with Kristen Stewart, real circle. Oh my god, real uh, circle. Real circle. He came to Austin to do like a weird like marketing stunt for that movie where he was gonna like get pizza with people at home slice. Uh, but apparently he was a real dick about it. <laughs> and, uh, which is like a sad thing I've heard about Jesse Eisenberg is that he's actually like not very nice. Max Landis also wrote Victor Frankenstein, the incredibly successful vehicle for Daniel Radcliffe. 
those like funny Frank. It's it wasn't. I'm joking. Oh, I see. It was a huge bomb. Oh no! And then he made a movie that. Well, also wait, let's do a real circle again. Dan Radcliffe, okay. the son of producer Philip Radcliffe of the Harry Potter movies. I always wondered if he was the son of that because I would see that name pop up and I would always wonder like, are they related? Yep, that's his son. Uh, and then in 2017, he made maybe his like highest profile movie, but not for the reasons that he probably wanted, which was, uh, do you remember that movie Bright Flix? <gasps> I only know that? about it. I never watched it, but I only know about it because I saw a tweet that was like, maybe, maybe it was Max Landis saying, I think I just wrote my Star Wars. Yes, that was him. That was him. That's how out of touch this guy is. Yeah, he wrote the like orc racism movie. Yeah. yeah Did, was that really a failure? Uh, I mean, it was I mean, kind it was of a, a flop. It was a critical bomb. Yeah. And Netflix doesn't release numbers. Yeah. It, I, it hasn't gotten a sequel. It says on Wikipedia that it is one of Netflix's most streamed movies ever. Well, because it, I think, but it's kind of like Kissing Booth. Because it's yeah. like. So it's Kissing Booth. Yeah, it's but bad. like, it to like, be good. Okay, well, so Connor's podcast coming up feels like a good time to say is like a Max Landis support group podcast. <laughs> but actually how all of Max Landis's products are actually really good. But here's why I don't feel as bad as I would normally feel talking about somebody's like personal appearance that they can't necessarily control is that the reason that Max Landis's career, despite all of these like incredible uh, advantages that he was born with stalled in like 2018, 2019. It wasn't because of Bright, because as Connor pointed out, somebody watched Bright. Uh, it was because he got Me Too'd. And oh. his Me Too story was bananas. And I swear this is all coming real circle. I believe you. But so the Daily Beast really broke like the biggest story. If anybody wants to go back and read the whole thing, um, they did a really incredible job reporting this. The vibe of it was that he was this sort of Hollywood player who used his connections, who used his famous father to kind of develop this circle of people in LA that were like aspirational actors and writers and models. Uh, and then he would take advantage of them, usually emotionally, but often sexually. Uh, the fascinating kind of like nuances that came out of the story, I think that really spoke to me. Like when people use proximity to like their advantages to kind of control you like emotionally, right? Right. So he had his annual Halloween party uh, and he, he would superficially only have like 10 spots in it. And then he would change who got invited like each time. So it was like this big deal of like, are you in or are you out? Like in the friend circle, like, do you get to go to this thing or not? And there was okay. no reason that like everybody couldn't go. He just got to like sort of decide in the moment. Ultimate like, power. <laughs> yeah, like that kind of weird shit. He gave a name to his circle of friends. He called it the color society, which like, bleh. and like he would organize these sort of like massive fantastical happenings. He'd like, rent out like a studio lot on like a studio in Burbank and have like a massive uh, paintball war with like tactical gear and everything. So he would just call everybody up and be like, meet in like 20 minutes. And if you couldn't go, you were in trouble and you were on the outs, right? But if you could go, then it felt like you were part of this like sort of secret society, very special thing that he like completely controlled. Uh, he was also apparently like never shy about being like, oh yeah, like you're gonna fuck me because of who my dad is and like stuff like that. like. Which is just also hilarious to think about somebody in like 2017 playing on like, oh, you know, my dad, he made an animal house. So like, <laughs> take your pants off. Like, <laughs> I'm sure that like John Landis's name, like obviously wields power, especially like if you're in a business setting. But it is funny to think about like being at a bar and being like, oh, yeah, 
he got hella me too uh, by a ton of people. <laughs> And it really sort of stalled his career, but not before he made what I actually think is his defining, is his Star Wars, not bright. And this is what really brings it real circle, which is that Max Landis, and no one asked one day, tweeted a link to a website called ascarnoonelsecansee.com. And if you click this, if you go to ascarnoonelsecansee.com, which is still live, it's this very like stylized, uh, sort of semi-professional looking website that he makes. It's the the front photo is like him holding his face, making like a little scowly face. It also links to a YouTube video that is ostensibly about the same thing. It's a six part, I'm so sorry. It's a seven part he calls it a living document where he explains that he thinks he's cracked the code of Carly Rae Jepsen music. So he believes that Carly Rae Jepsen, all of her music is singing about one specific event in her life, like one event of heartache. So the scar no one else can see, he's the only one that can see it. The scar is Carly Rae Jepsen's scar. It's like novel length. It's like 70,000 words or something insane like that the whole thing where he goes like line by line, song by song, album by album, breaking everything down and explaining how like he is the only one that has figured out that Carly Rae Jepsen has actually created like the biggest masterwork in the history of like pop music by only singing different, like with different versions or different perspectives on one single event. To which Carly Rae Jepsen was like, no <laughs> actually not oh my gosh whoa that is like, insane like can you imagine like waking up and finding out that like somebody wrote something like this about you <laughs> or about like all you and it's also it's great because it does read like like a sophomore sort of like very into himself kind of writing so if you click on the preface this is what it says a warning from the future Welcome to the lost, alone and searching. Welcome to the climbers of trees, the stealers of bikes, the girl in the corner, the forgotten friends, the little black holes. The voice you hear is Carly Rae Jepsen. You might be reading this as a joke, out of vague curiosity. You might have thought the person who claimed to have discovered a massive secret pattern in a pop star's music was doing it ironically, or maybe just lost on a long hike up their own ass. Welcome to you too, the cynics and the disinvested. Come in and find out, but first a warning. La siante ogne speranza, voci antrante. Elisa's really going to get me for that one. <laughs> Italian phrase from Dante's Inferno. What? Translates to abandon all hope ye who enter here. What the fuck? If you ever have like an hour of your life that you don't want to get back, yep. you can go to a star no one else can see and just read like one madman's just sort of like absolute obsessive breakdown of like a woman's career there are so many steps involved in making <laughs> this website yeah well if you were worried ellie about max landis's career you don't have to be uh because he's already staging his big comeback one of which is that he is writing the uh remakes la- the re- yeah no it's just the remake of his father's iconic film american werewolf in london uh, is john landis still alive yeah do you think he's just like don't <laughs> No, I think it's the opposite. Because again, I think the, that's why I told the story about John Landis killing those extras, those kids, is that I think he's probably also an asshole. And he's just like, yeah, fuck Hollywood, full of all those dumb liberals and they won't let my boy make his art. Well, I'll give him the rights to my movie and he can just make that. 
Uh, so that's, I mean, that's my interpretation. Of yeah. it. I wasn't there, but that's my interpretation of it. Uh, apparently he's also writing a, a self-described feminist action flick. Oh, no. He's the one to do it. Just, Max, if you're listening. He's not. Don't. <laughs> just don't. That's the real circle. That's the rabbit hole that... I've been going down is just everything about Max Landis, his freaky friend cult, his terrible movies, uh, and then, yeah, his bizarre obsession with Carly Rae Jepsen. Five points for just Carly Rae Jepsen and that she had to deal with this <laughs> on, on any level. Do you think her, her team were like, okay, um, Carly, this one's really fucking weird. Um, <laughs> there's a whole website about how your music is a, is a message. <laughs> and it's written by Madman. <laughs> Four points because of the tweet he made about Bright. <laughs> was just good. that amazing awakening that he had of how shit that movie was. Supposedly, sorry, Connor, we don't know yet. Allegedly. Allegedly. Um, but I'm going to take one point off for the sexual assault. Yeah, it wasn't great. I guess in the spirit of disfavoring people that you have, like, a personal relationship with, I'm going to give Chelsea 100 points. <laughs> Your move, man. You got to get Miles on this podcast. <laughs> Yikes. The Pentagon secret paperclips. Chelsea, you're going to be so furious. So I'm I apologize. So I apologize in advance. We're talking World War II, an area of history that I am deeply fascinated by. Love a bit of World War II. I mean, like, it was atrocious, like, terrible things happened, but it's very interesting. You and everybody's dad just really into it. I know. So, in the immediate wake of World War II, the Allies were really patting themselves on the back, widely venerated for their role in ending the reign of the Third Reich. Um, While I was researching this, I was like, I don't even really know what that means. So I looked that up. It means the Third Realm or the Third Empire, alluding to the Nazis' conceit that Nazi Germany was the successor to the Roman Empire and then the German Empire in 1871 to 1918. Cool for them. The Allied powers also made pretty controversial decisions in secret that were kept classified for a really long time, for decades. And perhaps the most contentious of those was the creation of Operation Paperclip. Okay which was a covert intelligence project that brought over 1,600 Nazi scientists to the United States to work. No, wait, no. You're not supposed to do that. Yeah. But they did do that. They did do that. From nerve and disease agents to the feared and coveted V1 and V2 rockets, Nazi scientists worked on an impressive arsenal. At the end of the war, the Allies scrambled to collect German intelligence and technology that may otherwise fall into the hands of the Soviet Union. They wouldn't want that. The old Cold War is approaching. Don't want that. The Cold War threatened to destroy this very hard-won peace. So the US granted a slew of Nazi scientists immunity for their war crimes so they could work in American labs instead of in Russian ones. I don't pretend to be an expert on this, but I did watch that movie The Reader, with uh, Ray Fiennes and Kate Winslet. Uh-huh. And in that movie, they're having all the, was it the Nuremberg trials? Like they're having all they're the- rounding them up. Like, yeah, they're having like all the trials where they try all of the Nazis from like 
the leaders all the way down just to like not to just but like to people who worked in the concentration camps yeah and the work camps so and that, that was like largely like it seemed like european governments that were putting those on why would those governments allow the united states to give these people like it seems like it wasn't our immunity to give you know what i mean yeah i uh, know it totally was not and these scientists were responsible for the milestones of american history like apollo 11's moon landing um, which is why America justified its decision to pardon war criminals in exchange for this political advantage. So let's dig into it a little more. Let's go. Let's peel a layer off the onion for a second. Okay. So despite numerous costly efforts from the siege of Leningrad to the Battle of Stalingrad, Nazi Germany failed to beat back the USSR as World War II kind of wound down. Mm-hmm. Um and so as the Reich's resources nearly depleted, Germany became desperate for a new strategic approach against the Red Army. Oh, it's cheese ball. Not now cheese ball. So in 1943, still in the war, Nazi Germany collected its most invaluable assets. Scientists, mathematicians, engineers, technicians, and 4,000 rocketeers stationing them all in the Baltic seaport of Pienmuden. I don't know. It's a German word. In Northern Germany. To develop a technological defense strategy against the Russians. This guy, Werner Olsenberg, who was the head of the Defense Research Association, he was responsible for determining which scientists to recruit by creating an exhausted, thoroughly researched list roster. And the scientists had to be considered sympathetic or at least compliant with Nazi ideology to be invited. Okay. So this index was known as the Osenberg List, or Osenberg, probably. Meanwhile, the US had become increasingly more aware of the Nazis' biological weapons program that they were cutely doing in the background, which I also didn't know about. Mm -hmm. They were gathering nerve agents to try and make a huge, like, biological weapon, like a plague. Yeah. Super cool. So a lot of this comes from Annie Jacobson's 2014 book, Operation Paperclip. So she says the Americans, they had no idea that Hitler had created this whole arsenal of nerve agents. They had no idea that Hitler was working on a bubonic plague weapon. That's really where Paperclip began, which was suddenly the Pentagon realizing, hang on, we should have those weapons. (laughs) That is a great second thought. Right. After like, oh no, and then we'll wait. Yeah, it's a little bit like in the Lord of the Rings when like Isildur has the ring and he's gonna throw it in, and then he's like, "No, <laughs> it's like should like, we destroy them or maybe actually what if America- I had it? What if America had? It? What if it was mine?" So then, That's fast sad. forward a little bit, 1945, just post D-Day, the Allies are reclaiming territory across Europe, and they are confiscating just German intelligence and technology. Trailing behind uh, these, the combat troops were groups like the Combined Intelligence Objective Subcommittee, whose job it was to confiscate war-related documents and materials and interrogate scientists as the combat forces gained territory in Europe. In March of 1945, a Polish lab technician discovered pieces of the Osenberg list stuffed into a toilet in Bonn University, and he took it to the Pentagon, took it to the US intelligence. No! A list of the of the of the smartest Nazis. Great, he could have just finished the job. So at first, the United States was merely like, "Cool, we can round all these guys up and 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 interrogate them and capture them and put them in prison," and that oh. was called Operation Overcast. But then, yeah. as they discovered the extent of this technology and how much 
better it was than theirs. They were like, we could put them in jail or instead we could collect them all and recruit them and bring them and their families to work and research for the American government. Wouldn't that be cool? Let's put them in the walls, they said. That's so fucking gross. So May 22nd, 1945, Allied troops invaded Pinimnint, that place I said, and captured all the men who were hard at work on the V-2 rocket, which was going to be the world's world's first long-range guided ballistic missile. Cool. Mm -hmm. And the place where this was all planned at the time was called the Joint Intelligence Objective Agency and the Office of Strategic Services, and then they molded into what is now called the CIA. And it was the CIA that put Operation Paperclip together. President Truman sanctioned the project, but he said, now hang on, now you can't recruit any documented Nazis. That's my, that's where my line is. Bad Nazis. Yeah. You can't put Nazi sympathizers in America. Like, that's not cool. It has to be people that were like, no, please don't make me science, Hitler. They wanted to create a narrative where they're like shakily holding little petri dishes and then like an SS guard is like like whips them and they're like back to work scientist like they they wanted they these were the victims they were victims they sure were yeah so Truman's like great idea guys love it love what you're thinking love where your brains at but let's not get the really bad Nazi. No, just the scared ones. And so the JIOA, which is now the CIA. They were like, oh, but in order to be on this list, you kind of have to be a Nazi. That was part of it. And we do really want to beat Russia in this race of many things. Um, So what if we did a little, (laughs) a little bit of whitewashing? What if we cross out the name of the list and then we write good Nazis? Yeah, or like super scared boys. Super scale boys. Super scared science boys would have been a really good alt title for your topic. The JIOA chose not to vet any researchers before they were brought to the US. Um, They erased incriminating evidence from their records. And it happened on a number of levels too, from the bureaucrats and army intelligence who were asked to sort of rewrite dossiers up to the generals in the Pentagon who flatly said, we need these scientists and we're going to have to rewrite some history. (laughs) Which is where it becomes pretty nefarious really that's the point where you're like well all of it is it just me or does this really feel like a movie that tom hanks would be in oh it does like it's the perfect intersection of like tom hanks doing world war ii stuff mm-hmm. and tom hanks in movies where he's like kind of in business but he's like got a lot of integrity and he's mm-hmm. like damn it we did this yeah. you know <laughs> annie jacobson in her book wrote how like on uh, how ridiculous it was to rewrite and bat- and whitewash these stories almost like someone who is a hedge fund manager in the united states trying to take the line that they don't believe in capitalism like <laughs> that's kind of what they were trying to do so then to like zoom in and get a little granular with it yeah one of the scientists that was recruited under operation paperclip was premier german rocket scientist werner von braun who who uh worked on the Apollo missions. Um, The thing that they just decided to erase from his history, a really cute little fact, was that he forced prisoners of the Buchenwald concentration camp to work on his rockets, and many of them died from overwork and starvation. And then he became the director of NASA's Marshall Space Flight Center. So just very much like a little scared scientist. Oh, just Just so scared. He was like, I wish I didn't have to make you hungry people work on my rocket. 
Um, I, got, I just love Rocket. Like, I gotta see if it goes. He handpicked people from the Bushenwald oh, concentration oh, camp oh, to work on oh, his rockets. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, and uh, Jacobson, the author of this book, says, he's a great example because you wonder where the deal with the devil really happened in terms of his whitewashed past. The US government, NASA in particular, was so complicit in keeping his past hidden because they wanted to get that rocket to the moon before the, before the Russians, otherwise, like, pff, embarrassing. Werner von Braun was nearly awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom during the Ford administration until senior advisors made Ford reconsider. Hmm, wonder why. They're like, uh, excuse me, sir, um, he's actually a, a big fat Nazi. Huge Nazi. See, again, it is, like, I don't want to derail, but it is stuff like this that makes me believe that it is possible, not true, but, like, possible that the moon landing was faked. Oh, we should definitely do a special on that. It's my favorite. That one, you know, like that one time I did the episode solo, when I was talking about the conspiracy theories, I was like, Mm -hmm. that's the one. Like if somebody was like, one thing is true, like, oh, the moon landing was faked. Because like, when you put that much on the line, right? Like when you go so far as to like recruit Nazis, because that's how important you think it is to like get to the moon first. And then it's not working. I feel like you would be willing to do anything. Mm -hmm. Either fake the moon landing even shoot a movie even shoot a movie even hurt somebody somebody. it's time to call stanley (laughs) get kubrick in here we gotta shoot this moon what Um, they call it a moon shot (gasps) oh my god oh my god she's figured it out oh my god it's all coming together While he was certainly the most famous of the German scientists, nearly every key department at the Marshall Space Flight Center was filled with former Nazis. Um, Kurt Debus, a former SS member for Nazi Germany, ran the launch site now known as the Kennedy Space Center. Oh. Chilling out. Others, this guy Otto Ambrose, who was Adolf Hitler's favorite chemist, what a title, he was tried at Nuremberg for mass murder and slavery, but given clemency in order to help America's space exploration effort. And then he worked for the U.S. Department of Energy. It's like, I'm not <laughs> saying that this would make it okay or better, but yeah, it would be one thing if it was like, the Nazis had figured out like nuclear fusion, like nuclear power that was going to create like, you know, limitless clean energy. And they were like, well, we, you know, this is like the greater good and we can, you know, clothe and house all these people if we just have this technology that they have and like yes it's unsavory but instead it's like no like they just wanted to like put some assholes on the moon yeah mm-hmm. so they uh, can be like we did the moon first <laughs> suck it cosmonauts yeah suck it also they got the better name like ugh, it was yeah. over it was over the minute that they claimed cosmonaut and we were stuck with astronaut so throughout the latter part of last century journalists attempted to uncover more about operation paperclip but their requests for documentation were often met with lawsuits. <laughs> Funny that. Um, and when a few requests were finally honored, countless documents on this are missing. Because mm. everyone was like, I actually do feel kind of bad about that now. Um, <laughs> many of the German researchers whose Holocaust-related atrocities were simply expunged by the JIOA later went on to work on MK Ultra. We've been there before, that top secret program back by the CIA whose main objective was to generate a mind control drug to use against the Russians. That was like episode four or five? Yeah, that was very early on. One of the early ones. 
So lots of the lots of the Nazis worked on the men who stare at goats. Not the movie. Um, apologists for the Operation Paperclip might claim that the JIOA only, sought only to bring over benign scientists, but it is demonstrably false. In twenty in two thousand five. The interagency working group established by Bill Clinton determined in its final report to Congress that, and I quote, the notion that they, the US military and the CIA, employed only a few bad apples will not stand up to new documentation. So they knew. They knew it was bad. Yeah. Um, and then to bring That's it real cool. circle to what you said, and this is my final point. Can so I explain it to the Nazi? <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, so it is. You heard it here first. The threat of the Cold War convinced certain American powers that granting clemency to Nazi scientists was acceptable. But I, but Operation Paperclip, in my opinion, I, it was one of the biggest blemishes in American history. That's not cool. Like you can't just give a bunch of Nazis visas because you want to put them out on the moon. Um, it's true. But they, some people still defend it as a difficult decision made in the name of progress. Those are the people that still, like, I don't know, I think in 2020, like, I'm not saying, obviously, like, it's very complicated and nuanced because, like, that's how uh, stories about, like, you know, 800 million people inevitably are. But I think if in 2020 you're still talking about, like, the Red Menace or, like, like you know, like, mid-century Russia as, like, the ultimate evil, like, that's embarrassing. You should yeah. stop. <laughs> We've already kind of figured out that, like, again, like, it's, it, whenever you're talking about two giant countries that are, like, that large and engaged in, like, that fucked up of a battle, uh, it's obviously more complicated than that. So I, I guess, like, where I was going with that was that, you were saying, like, I, I think anybody who, like, says, like, well, it was a necessary evil, the only way it was a necessary evil is if you see um, the idea of, like, communist Russia, like, the USSR, as, like, an evil worth something, an evil that would make that necessary. Right. That's embarrassing in 2020. It is very strange. Um, and so you were talking about the Nuremberg trials and the rounding up of all, like, the... Kate Winslet and Ray Fiennes. The real bad Nazis. Yeah. Um even the agents within that department, which is called the Justice Department Official of Special Investigations, whose job it is to track down Nazis and be like, gotcha, you 98-year-old man. Um, mm-hmm. They didn't know about Operation Paperclip. That's fucked. So they were unaware for decades of the extent to which government officials were collaborating with their quarry. Wow. I think I think that would send me... I think that would, like... You imagine? That would break my brain. You like, like that one? <laughs> You imagine no, if that's I your job, like, right? Your imagine. job is yeah. to work for the American government to track down Nazis, and then you find out that actually the American government pardoned sixteen hundred Nazi scientists. The American government had all the Nazis, and they sent you after them, but also didn't tell you that they had them. That's why my alternative title, which was just too vague, but like just what kept popping into my brain was they're in the fucking walls. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's okay. Yeah, I just think like it's like what an incredible. Um, I, the only word that's coming into my brain, but it's not like enough, and it's not quite right. It's like what incredible disrespect, I guess. It's just like because I would imagine that, like especially you know in the years r- immediately after having the job of like tracking down Nazis was probably something that like you took very personally and like very seriously. Right? It's like a mission of like great esteem and importance. Yeah. And like, you know, that was, and I'm sure that like in the government, they treated it that way where like, you know, you had your guys that were like, good job, son, you found the Nazi. And like, (laughs) to find out that like they had the Nazis the whole time. 
Ugh. Right? The, the, and then, like, the sucks. CIA were like, hey, here's a job. Wink. Go get them. Wink. Yeah. So that's Whoa. my story. Operation Paperclip. That blows. Right? <laughs> I mean, great job, but, like, that fucking sucks. Um, it also, like, I think some one of the things that always really depresses me about stories like that that are, you know, more historical is... um. Like, I, I don't know if you were reading kind of like some of the stuff that's been going that's been coming out recently about like the ice detention camps, which are like our our modern day oh, concentration the horrific camps. like hysterectomy stuff. Yeah, like the forced hysterectomies, uh, the like rampant sexual assault, and then there was a story that came out today that was just like uh, ice deported like several of the whistleblowers and like eyewitnesses to the assault. So like they were like, oh, you're gonna tell on us? <laughs> well now. Now we're done, like, holding you indefinitely for nothing. Now we're just going to deport you so you can't tell on us anymore. Holy shit. Uh, which seems like a kind of thing that shouldn't be allowed. But, like, I, get, like, I guess like my thing is, like, I, you hear things and you get so max it feels like people are doing evil things without any kind of, like, any kind of consequence or any check on their actions. And that they might and, – and the only hope is that you can hope that at some point – they're going to face consequences, right? That like, it's not, it's not a one-to-one. And I think the people who say it's one-to-one, it's like, you know, it's too simple, but like, at least like after everything that happened with Nazi Germany, literally everybody in the world got together and said like, this was so bad that like, we have to, even if it takes 20 years, like right. we're going to like address every single bad thing that happened. And we're going to like meter out like some form of justice because we have to send a statement. Like we have to draw a line in the sand and say like, right. these are the things that we don't do as human beings. Right. And, but then to hear that, like, even that is not necessarily true. Like that sort of, idea that you might have had like there was still wiggle room and gray area for people God, just to, yeah. like to yeah to experience like absolutely no consequences it's just like you hear these things now and you're like oh yeah those people are probably going to get away with it you put me in a real pickle because <laughs> i don't love giving points about anything related to like nazis nazis or the american government uh aiding and abetting nazis i nearly also called the topic the fourth reich <laughs> <laughs> because i'll uh, be there people eh, we're getting there um i will give you i will give you three points one for every like alternate title that you gave through Thank this you. Course of your story I appreciate that and i will give you five points for research i will take one point away for the kennedy center slander because you are in texas but i'm also going to give like three points back because i don't give a fuck <laughs> I do think that we also, whenever Hitler is mentioned on this podcast, it's an automatic point off. Yeah. So I should raise my hand for that. And not just because he sucked, but just because, like, at this point, it's like, I'm just, you know, like, it's, it's so passe. I'm so tired like, of Oh, you're going to bring up Hitler in 2020? Wow. I'm tired of that, man. Okay. Well, I mean, you understand that I'm going to give you fewer points than Chelsea, right? Yeah. Because I'm dating her. Yeah. Yeah. It is different. Yeah. It's different. So you though. get it. She gets it. So I'm going to give you 99 points. <gasps> oh my <laughs> goodness. What a twist. I literally thought you were going to be like, three points. <laughs> no. Well, thank you so much, Connor. He knows which of our friends has a pool. Connor, did I tell you anything about the Operation Paperclip that you didn't know? Pretty much all of it. <laughs> I mean, I knew like the one sentence like summary of like, yeah, we brought German scientists over after the war and like hid their crimes. <laughs> Hide the but, crimes, uh, but yeah. not like the not the details. Yeah, not the details. Yeah. You really fleshed it out for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Connor, you're welcome. This is your moment. 
other than the wonderful podcast that you have coming out soon, which you will hear more details about in the future, uh, where can people find you? Connor is a cartoonist. Uh, yeah, go look at my comics on Instagram uh, at cornerchew.comics with an X. With an X. With an X. Comics. C-O-M-I-X. Yeah. So yes, give me some likes. Yes. He wants one like or share. That's give him a like and a share. Come on, we're all busting our ass out here. Give us a fucking hand. Chelsea, where can people find you? People can find me at Chelsea Arfouche, wherever internets are sold, including photos of the incredible rice dish that I made last night that fucking what? And uh, mm. this new arch that I'm painting in my house. So, like, just really exciting stuff like that. You can find me on Instagram at Ellie Main, but I do rarely post there. You can find me more often on Twitter, uh, where I like to get spicy about how corporations should treat their uh, treat their employees, and that is at Ellie Mainy, which is Main M A I N E Y. Um, and you can find this podcast at WhatPod on Twitter and Instagram, where I when I have time in my life to post. I'm sorry about the infrequency of that, guys, but we do both work full on full time jobs. And so sometimes yeah. there just isn't time. But uh, our aim is to be able to do this. Oh my gosh, one day to be able to do this full time would be freaking amazing. And I just can't even imagine the content we'd be able to make. Just it would be reams, wild. reams of it. So if you want to support us on that journey, then you can head to our Patreon, which is Patreon forward slash Wattpod. Um, and check out our website. It's just a little website where you can uh, look at our merch through Redbubble and you can send us a contact form if you want us to shout anything out on the podcast. We'd be happy to do so. Uh, thank you to everyone that listens, guys. Like, you mean the world to us. And I can't believe this is, like, the 36th episode of the show. I love it's doing so it. It's so wild. It's so wild. And I can't wait till we get to uh, one year. We have to have a huge celebration. Maybe, at the- Chelsea, that's it. Our one year, you and I together present the moon landing space conspiracy oh my god that's so good okay there we go we got it we got episode it. 52 episode 52 is out. gonna be right. chelsea and ellie together do the stanley kubrick moon landing moon movie. landing um, true. it's gonna whip <laughs> we love you guys so much and we'll see you next time it's true and, and maybe in the meantime i don't know go learn something yeah, yeah. Keep it loose. Keep it tight. Say your prayers at night. <laughs>